Another episode of The Ladies' Room. As always, I am Julie DeCaro sitting on the floor of my closet. Jane McManus is in New York. And you are where, Jane? In the basement? Uh, no, I, I have an office. Oh, how pretty, nice for you. Pretty amazing, yeah. Right, I also have an office, but I also have a husband, a teenager who are constantly on Zoom and two dogs. So yeah. I think we're all live, living our most complicated digital lives in a lot of ways. Well, I agree. The best thing about sitting on the floor in my closet is that I can see the underside of a lot of my clothes. So I'll be like, oh, that's where that went. I haven't seen that for (laughs) months. That's great. I will say I did, you know, we talk about Zoom a lot. I did invest in one of those ring lights. Nice. Just recently. And I, I, you know, it was a struggle to get, just get it out of the packaging because they fold that thing up in like 16 different ways. It was, you know. I felt like I needed an advanced degree, but eventually I got it to at least come out and lean against something else. Have you tried it? Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, how, do you like the way you look on it? You know, it, it's more, it's not so much liking the way you look anymore. <laughs> it? um, no, it's, it's not. <laughs> it's more that I felt like my face was better illuminated as the light fell, you know? So I, I started, I did a panel last night, which was great through SUNY Cortland. It was a fantastic group of women talking about sports and, um, and I, you know, it, it's it's one of those things that starts when there's still some light and my, my computer is directly in front of a window. So everything looks great. I'm happy with it. And then by the time the end comes, I look like, you know, the crypt, the dark <laughs> shadows have come in behind me. And I, you know, it's, it's kind of, I look kind of ominous and foreboding. And I just tried to a- avoid that vibe. That was really the, the impetus for the purchase. I think I look worse on the ring light. And I've been studiously studying everyone on like MSNBC and stuff for months trying to figure out what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> Leslie Visser said to try to go for just the LED, like the square light. Okay. okay. Rather than the ring. Um, but the problem is too, when you wear glasses, you can see that illuminated in your glasses. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care really. I, I've decided I, you know, that I'm just, I'm not that fastidious anyway. I never have been. So if you, if I'm betraying the fact that I have a light in front of me, so be it. And it's a tiny little circle. I'm okay with that. Well, our guest today, uh, did have her camera on during our entire conversation and looked incredibly gorgeous as you, know, as per you. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, she's she's like, you know, commiserating with us about how having to turn our cameras on. And I'm like, you look perfect. Um, <laughs> so we're not going to do a huge intro today because we did spend a ton of time talking to Carrie Champion of Vice News. Carrie and Jamel won't stick to sports, which is a show that I love. I hope you guys love it, too. Uh, Carrie was really great. So instead of uh, sitting here listening to us banter about what we find in our closet and ring lights, uh, here we go. Let's talk to Carrie Champion. We are really excited about our next guest, somebody we've been wanting to have on. You know, we always talk about that short list, Jane, that we had when we first started thinking about doing this podcast. And this person was another person who was right near the top. You know her from hosting some obscure shows on a minor cable channel like um, 
first take and something called Sports Center, something like that. Uh, She's now one of the hosts of Carrie and Jamel Won't Stick to Sports on Advice Channel, along with our friend Jamel Hill. It is Carrie Champion. Hey, Carrie, welcome in. Thank you guys for having me. I'm so excited about this. And I do love the rule. So if people are at home and it's only a visual medium, I mean, it's only, they're only listening, not visual. I love the fact that we don't have to turn our cameras on. I do love that. I just yeah. That. I, Jane, Jane and I are tired of trying to be TV ready at all times. So we're just like, no, no cameras. And it's invasive and it's exhausting. And why do we have to? Right. You don't need to see me. You can hear my voice. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> Completely agree. Yeah, exactly right. And I've got, you know, and I've got uh, teenage daughters who are in classes and they're digital now. Everything's done digitally. And it's just a whole layer of self-consciousness to ask young high school women to put on everything and to be viewed you know, they're all worried that like there's a screenshot that could be taken and they could turn into a meme, uh-huh. you know, in math class. Yeah. It's, you know, I agree. So, yeah. So we just decided we don't need the pressure. We don't need the agita. We are going to just be who we are and have conversations. I love it. I'm with it. I'm locked in. I appreciate you, ladies. <laughs> we, did, we did an interview with um, a couple college guys not that long ago, and they were like, would you guys turn on your cameras? And we were like, no, we will not. <laughs> <laughs> you have to tell me ahead of time if you want me to turn on my camera because there's a whole process. <laughs> yeah, not happening. Sorry, I'm with you because they don't deserve it. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> not putting on mascara for you. Yeah, exactly. Oh. It's so exhausting. I literally was walking downstairs. I was like, let me do this. I didn't put on any makeup. And then I heard you say we don't need it. I was like, thank goodness. These ladies get it. <laughs> uh, what, a, what a year you have had. I think it has been almost a year since you went from being somebody who was the face of something, whether it's, you know, a news story or, you know, sports coverage where you are in the role where you're representing someone else or someone else's interest and to having full time your own voice and having your interest guide the work that you're doing. And I am just so curious about what this year has been for you, considering everything also that's happened during this year. Oh, my God. You know what? It's just about it's the anniversary. And it went so quickly. And just outside of my own small world, I think that everyone has been experiencing um, a, a tough year. And I always take note of what I what I was dealing with versus, you know, you know, what really is going on in our in our world today with the pandemic and the virus and people dying um so i it is it does not i am very very blessed and fortunate and i am very grateful that i have been able to say that this year has been one of the best years in my life um personally and professionally uh, but that is because i think for all of us jane and julie you guys know this when you are forced out of your comfort zone, you, you know, it's sink or swim. And I, and I only have one instinct really for me, and that is swim. So I, mm. I left ESPN and, and I will be honest with you guys, I had been planning my exit. I mean, gosh, I've been planning my exit for about two years, but I was afraid like mm-hmm. so many people are there. 
But I was afraid because I was like, well, where do I go here? Like, mind you, I had been trying to find jobs. I've been trying to look at different opportunities. I was, you know, I was all about why don't I get a new opportunity here? How come I can't work there? You know, we were interviewing. My agents were up for it. They were like, let's try. Let's try. We can get this. We can get you a new job here. We can get you a new job there. But nothing ever really panned out. And so I, unfortunately, I I just was sitting in this place for about six or seven months where I was just miserable. And you know what really set set the tone? I started a foundation. It's called Brown Girls Dream. And it's about mm-hmm. young girls who who want to be in front of the camera, behind the scenes, doctors, lawyers, you name it. They all have a dream. We all have a dream. And and they need someone to acknowledge them and put them at the front of the line and say, you know what, you deserve this opportunity. Uh, Let's stop giving it out to our white males. Let's stop giving out that privilege to people who don't deserve it, who are really mediocre. Because these these young ladies were superb. So I'm watching them fulfill all of their dreams and we're getting them in the room and they're so excited and they're meeting so many people. And (laughs) I'm like, wait, don't I want to do that? (laughs) Right. Yeah, it was it was hitting me, and I I I got a I got the um I had did Titan Games on NBC um two years before, and and here was my litmus test. I've never said it. I was like, if ESPN doesn't, for whatever reasons, allow me to do this show because that's just what they do, and then I'm leaving. And my agent was like, what? And I was like, I'm leaving. She was like, but it's just. She was like, but this is just a one off. And you know, are you sure that's what you want to do? And you, are you leaving for Titan Games? I said, that's going to force me to find work and it's going to force you to work too. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> of course, I mean, it was like, and it, I knew they were going to say no because of just, you know, what happens there it was the regime. I wasn't the favorite. I wasn't in favor anymore. And I knew they were going to say no while others were getting other opportunities to work outside of the corporation. And then I said, okay, well, that's just it. I'm done. And and it was a shock. They were shocked. They couldn't believe it. I remember I remember telling the one executive that I reported to that I'm leaving and she she thought I was kidding. She was like, "What? Oh, well, okay." And then and then it was like, "Well, fine, let her be gone." You know, that's how she wants to be. I didn't care. I wasn't pouting. I it was time. And I was like, "I I am I'm babysitting this." And on the outside looking in, people thought I had the best job. So that was another reason why it was hard for me to get work. Cause people were just like, what else can she do besides highlights and talk here? And did, like, everyone thought it was the end all be all. And by the way, at one point in my career, it was the destination job. At one point in my career, it was a dream gig, but as we mature, things change and your destination changes. So I leave you guys, I leave end of January it is February. I am working, working uh, in Atlanta. Um, pandemic hasn't hit us yet, but everyone on set has a cold. So that should have told you we, we were in trouble. Right. Yeah. Everybody on set had a cold. And then I, you know, went to New York to do something. And then when I flew back from New York, they shut the city down five days later. And in my mind, they shut every, the world shut down, as you all know. And in my mind, if in fact this had happened three months earlier, I would not have quit. I would have been terrified because I would have thought, oh, how am I going to work? How am I going to make money? There's nothing out here for me. It's a pandemic. Because remember, things were just shutting down left and right. I know you guys remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was so grateful that I jumped because I would have stayed and lived in fear. And I would have thought that's all I had. And I would have believed the lie that there is no other place greater than this place where I wasn't bringing my full self to work or being my true self. 
And you know, I think Carrie, a lot of us wound up in that situation. Like I lost my job um, in radio on April 2nd because of the pandemic and wound up in a better one. But you're right. I mean, there, there are such a scarcity of jobs in sports media that it's like, you feel like you can't leave until you have something else lined up. And, you know, every day on Twitter, it feels like we're seeing more and more people laid off. And it's really been a nightmare this past year for people in sports media. Women specifically. And then, and then add in, Mm. add in a woman who wants to talk about, you know, you know, politics and sports because for whatever reasons people say the two don't intersect okay so i i feel like it was the best decision i ever made and then when i tell you the floodgates open i felt like ladies you ever you ever uh, be in a relationship and you break up and then you don't know how fine you are how sexy you is <laughs> yeah yeah 100% <laughs> i i was out there in these streets like damn i'm fine i was like okay damn, i should have broken with i should have broken with old boy a long time ago you know what i'm saying <laughs> Because I was, I mean, I was getting date after date after date. And not only was I getting dates, I was doing what I loved. I was dating people I loved. They, I mean, the projects that I've been a part of, I have loved. And it has, and it has forced me out of my comfort zone and allowed me to speak and moderate and be a part of a conversation that I believe, you know, at the end of the day, we're going to be on the right side of history. So, Carrie, this is the thing. At, at, an, at a broadcaster, when you're working for someone, they want you up to a point and you, they want what you're bringing, but they don't want all of it. And that is the problem. And for me, outside looking in, you know, at a moment when voices are crucial and when it's really important that people are bringing their whole self to these conversations, you were only able to bring a part. And now, no wonder that you're getting these opportunities because you are able to be a hundred percent who you are. I agree. And I don't know if you, Jane, are you there? I don't know if I cut you off. Yeah. I, you know what, Jane, but that's hard. Can I say something to you? That is, and, and yeah. Julie, you guys can appreciate this as a woman. I do love what I'm doing, but it is very, especially in these times, very scary. How often do I hear Carrie? Are you sure you want to say that? How long will this movement last? Will we still be, you know, in this racial reckoning, you know, uh, next summer? Um, Are you going to say something that will allow you not to ever work again in this business? I hear it so often. And when I hear that, let me tell you what I think. At first, there is that first thought of as a woman, you get there's this fear, but fear is a choice. And then I go, I don't want to work with somebody who is not in not an agreement that these conversations need to be had. I don't want to work with another entity where I have to pretend to be happy and ignore what is happening in our world today. Um, if, 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 if there's one thing that we've learned, the way that we've been doing it in this country has been wrong. And in this world, for that matter, is wrong. And, and the get along gang has not helped. Right. Mm-hmm. When when I when I went in and played the game and tried to be the good the good girl and be the good role model and do what I'm supposed to do and not, and make you comfortable with racism and sexism, you know, not you per se, but the, my bosses, whomever, when I tried to make them comfortable with their inappropriate behavior and words, it never worked in my favor. It just does not. I might be, listen, this is the most powerful thing someone told me. If you, if you can be bought, you can be sold. And I was tired of that. There's not enough money in the world, not right now for me to be bought. And because I can be sold and I've seen it happen. And you've got to make those choices in life. 
And and nine times out of 10, when you're on the right side of history and you're doing something that you love, all that other stuff will come. You know, that that the the name, the fame, the money, that'll come if that's what you want. But if you are telling stories that everyone on, on, on the line now is a journalist, when you tell stories that you know that matter, there is a feeling that is when you're helping others, that's an irreplaceable feeling. It really is. You know, it's so funny that, not funny, but I mean, it's, it's, of course you would bring this up because, you know, Jane and I, when we first got to know each other several years ago, we were both sort of in this space where we were talking a lot about domestic violence um, and athletes that commit violence against women. And Jane told me, you know, at one point, like, this is not going to bode well for our careers. And here we are, you know, several years later, and we're both in different careers. Um, And I think what Jane said is so true that, you know, my station was all like, oh, we have to have a woman, we need a woman's perspective. But when the woman's perspective was inconvenient for the station, like, you know, the Chicago Cubs really need to get rid of the guy who keeps beating his wife. Um, you know, suddenly they didn't want that anymore. And suddenly, and then all of a sudden I was difficult and I was a problem. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's maddening and it's depressing to hear that even for someone who has had as much success as you've had in this space, that it is still something that you have to deal with. I think everybody has to deal with it. I mean, I, I, I honestly feel there are no free, there are no free rides and there are no people who are quote unquote living their dream working for anyone else. I think Everything is a business and everything is the bottom line. I look at people now at ESPN and I know that they wish, you know, like they like the idea of being free, but there's a, they're, they're, they're scared and they should be because, you know, these are scary times. Where can you work? Will you be able to make, you know, a living? Uh, Will you be able to have access? Because it's a trade-off. Life is a series of trade-offs. And sometimes, you know, you enjoy the bells and the whistles in the moment. But for me, after eight years, I was like, yo, I'm not doing any, like, you know, what really set it off for me was how we handled Colin Kaepernick. In the Mm -hmm. beginning, it was like, yes, discuss it, discuss it. Yes. But then the regimes change and then you can't discuss it. And then because you can't discuss it, you're sitting there and you're reading this, this very bland copy, Mm -hmm. uh, that is written by the, the the news desk, you know, and if you try to add your own words, it's like, don't do it. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but you do get to a point where you can no longer live and work in fear. And everyone was on eggshells, especially around that story and what it looked like and what it sounds like, um, which is why I think it's so funny that they're working with him in a roundabout way now. But I, I just, <laughs> I just was like, I, this is ridiculous. Like, what am I doing? Uh, and, and, even so much so that you can't even tweet, like the power of not being able to tweet. Do you know if I had been working there this summer and everything that was happening with George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, um, Breonna Taylor, if I couldn't really speak my mind, I would have lost my shit. Excuse my French. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden there are these, these, now all of a sudden I look up, you know, Jamal and I laugh at this. We watch these shows and they have all these political people on there, these freedom writers. And I'm all like, you had the best in Jamel in-house. And now all of a sudden you guys are going out of house to ask these people, what do they think was going on in America? Let's talk politics, race, and sports. What? Mm-hmm. It's, it's crazy. The wind changed. Well, you know what? The corporate social justice is something that I've noticed and it, it, it'll, it'll, and the winds will go back. 
You know what I mean? Like this is mm-hmm. this is not a true um authentic moment. This is something to do now because it's trendy. And as long as as long as that happens, we'll never see any real significant change. And it's people like you and I and and Julie, all of us, we when, when all of us get together and decide to push and push and need and need, it'll it makes a difference. We probably can't see it in huge amounts right now, but we're making a difference. We really truly are. Well, it's, you know, you, you raise such a good point about the pressure on the people on the inside, because I think when you have your dream job and when it pays really well right. compared to industry standard, that it's very difficult. You, you, nobody has to come up and, put, you know, poke you on the shoulder and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't tweet that. You know, you know not to bite the hand that is giving you the paycheck. Yeah. Um, And so I think then it becomes this internal dialogue with yourself. How truthful am I going to be? How much am I going to say? Especially when you can sense that the corporate interest in telling a story about something that you are passionate about or know a lot about or have done a lot of reporting on has changed. You guys, I, I don't know. It's disgusting. I think it's disgusting. I think the corporate social justice is disgusting. I think it's um, unfortunate that I feel like all corporations are working together and in a world where, you know what I think of? Okay, so remember when Harvey got brought down? Uh, brought down yeah. And and if you listen to Ronan Farrell's podcast, say what you want about him, but if you listen to his podcast, he talks about how he went to NBC and he was very specific mm-hmm. about what was going on. And they were like, hoo-hoo, hey, 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 hey. Yeah. And then when it all came out, they were like, that's not true. That's not true. We were, we were right there on it, you know? And you found out, like, you, there were interests working behind the scenes it, to protect Harvey for different, their own selfish motivations because they, too, are scared. And what, I, what I've been able to notice is that that's just the way the world works. And it's unfortunate that it works that way. But I have really come into my own and realized that this platform that I have must be used in a way that gives me a freedom. I have the the best career advice I have been told is never, ever, ever in your life. And we all have to figure this out. Never be indebted to a thing or someone, meaning never let a certain company own you to the point that you can't be who you are because you forget your dream. You forget your vision. You forget why you're doing what you do. The power is in knowing why we're here. And that is what I've learned this last year, why I am here. When I tell you it hit me like a ton of bricks and it wasn't, everything was so divine. Like I'll t- this is literally, so I, March, uh, we're sitting in the house. I'm like, oh my God, I was supposed to do the Olympics. Now it's not happening. I'm so bummed. What am I going to do? Someone calls me up three weeks later. and was like, hey, we want to give you and Jamel a show on Vice. What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The sure. first time I saw the commercial for, I think, was it originally called Stick to Sports? It was. It was. Okay. And I saw the commercial and I jumped up and I was like cheering and everyone came running in the room in my family to be like, what's going on? And I was like, yay, Jamal, I'm a show. <laughs> but you know, it, it's interesting because um, 
I was, I've been talking about this a lot lately and I don't know how many people know this, but Carrie has like serious journalism chops. I mean, she's not just a pretty face that they plucked out and threw on TV and she reads a teleprompter. Like this is a girl who knows what she's doing behind the scenes. And and when it comes to investigating a story and telling a story. Um, and, And I, one of the things that always amuses me with people is that they don't know how much of what happens in the media today is based on access and maintaining that access. And that if you run afoul of someone, suddenly you and your outlet are cut off and now you don't have access anymore. So when I see people say things like, well, if this was if that big of a deal, how come so-and-so is not tweeting about it? Don't you think Adam Schefter would say something if it was a big deal? How come Ian Rappaport's not talking about it then? And I'm just like, are you stupid? Like, do you know who they work for? Like, there is a whole big system at play behind here. And I don't think the general public realizes that. And so when you are a person who speaks out about things, then suddenly you're like out there twisting in the wind. Um, people not necessarily realizing that the reason you can say it is because you're kind of taking your, your career in your hands while other people aren't. Yo, like in, you just said something that makes perfect sense. I think for so long, the stereotypes are the images that are propelled for women in sports, especially on a show where you're in a debate show, you're just pretty and you're there and you're eye candy, no matter how hard you try to insert yourself, it is, it is next to impossible when the, when the platform and when the format is not met for you, no matter how smart you are, no matter, it's just, it's next to impossible. And I think that, I think that we're starting to see people, yes, take charge, but there's just too many special interests behind the scenes wanting us to be the pretty girl reading the prompter or or the person who has a specific role or let's put social justice on this show or let this platform talk about social justice. We won't do that here on this platform. You guys mm-hmm. are about. And so you're yep. just like, damn, you're like, okay, well, what is the point? But that is a, a that is a personal choice. When I tell you these were years of conversation, conversations I've had with myself, with my friends, I remember going to Jamel's house. This is how it worked, guys. I went to her house in August of 2019 with a bottle of wine and a camera crew. And I said, let's film a pilot. I don't know what the fuck it's going to be, but (laughs) I was like, let's just film a pilot. I was like, here are some serious conversations that we're going to have. We initially, the thought of the show is going to be called like one more because we love to drink. And every time we went to a new topic, we'd pour a glass of wine. (laughs) We'd be like, one more. more." So by the end of the show, we're loose as hell and we're discussing things that you You'd be like, oh my goodness, you know, (laughs) we film this pilot. It's absolutely amazing. We love it. We shelf it. And then here we are in March. And I'm like, do you guys have anything that we could see of you two together? We're like, as a matter of fact, we do. (laughs) And then there you go. You, you see it. I'm just like, oh my God, this is it. Then, then TNT calls me up and they said, well, we're doing a show called the arena and it's about social justice and and athletes being able to speak out. And we want to know if you want to host it, but not just host it. We want you to be a part of the conversation. And we're going to, we're going to do something real special, real high level. We're going to kick it off with a week. And I'm sitting at my mind is blown, you guys, because then the very thing that I have been told not to discuss has been the very point of conversation, the the topics that people want. So, so this is for those who feel as if they can't do something and there's that spirit that's burning. And and by the way, sometimes people get kicked out. You get fired and it forces you, Julie, to go find another area. That's fine too. Like, I love that. Fire me. Let me just figure it out. But it's another opportunity to reinvent yourself and get up. I I believe as as sure as I am Black that none of that was an accident. This entire Mm. year was so divine. And, And on a side note, a personal side note, I made more money than I ever made. I bought a house during the pandemic. 
I literally am living a life that I'm looking up and I'm like, are you kidding me? Is this all this took? All I had to do was swim. And I've been sitting on the, the shore for all of this time. And if I would have swam, like, I'm like, why didn't I do this sooner in my mind? <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Right. Because there's so much, I mean, this is what I love watching about you and Jamel and Michael and things that you're doing, which is like content companies, like creating your Mm -hmm. own company, figuring out when you look around the media landscape and what is missing that you are passionate about. It's no surprise to me that it was your foundation, Brown Girls Dream, that actually propelled you into thinking differently about this. Because otherwise, I think we do get really trapped in our thinking. And, you know, for me, obviously, it's been it's been moving into academia. I love it. I love working with students and still being able to write and do the things that I did. But I would never, if I hadn't been part of the 2017 layoff, I wouldn't have moved to London for two years and traveled the world and then figured out exactly what would have made me happier. So I'm like, I look at you all and see what you're doing. And I just feel like the sky is the limit with you guys. Yeah, I, you know what, once you change your perspective, and this is it, because remember, again, your destination changes, like you, you were part of the layoff, so your destination changed, you, 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 I think I look at, I was like, I was envious, I'm like, gosh, she lives in London, that's amazing, I'm like, right, me too. Like literally in my mind, I'm like, God, I would love to. I don't know what you felt, but on the outside looking in, I was like, goodness grief, what a blessing. I'd love, you know what I mean? I was like. I I did feel that way. I totally felt that way. Absolutely. And you have to have those moments in your life where you have to just shake yourself up. And if you don't, you don't get to grow. You More than ever, I, I am... As my counterpart is on the show, she is consistently being called racist and told she's this and that and the third, right? And I and I have to be honest with you, I didn't get as much heat um, because people didn't know I felt that way. Like, Julie, you mentioned people didn't know about the type of journalist I was. And now they see another side of me and they're like, well, what is she doing? Why is she talking like that? I didn't know this was her. Like, is she trying to be something she's not? Well, I've always been this person. Mm-hmm. I wasn't allowed to showcase that aspect of my capital J, right? And so I think it's interesting because now what I'm learning to deal with is the, the this, and you guys, we get it all the time as women, period, you know, online, but the the, the level of hatred and the, the disgusting amount of time people have to tell you they hate you yeah. really has blown me away. Now that's one thing I am not used to like death threats. Like, are you kidding me? Because, but, but, but what I know is that obviously what I'm saying makes sense because it's triggering you and it's upsetting you. And you can say what you want. If I didn't matter, you wouldn't be coming so strong. You know what I mean? You wouldn't be coming after me with your pitchfork. Yeah. I'm always interested to hear how people who have a bigger platform than I do handle this because Jane knows, cause I cry to her all the time about it. Like I struggle with it, even though the whole thing about you're making the right people angry, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. It like the, the constant, just, I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like you. I don't like you day after day after day is something that really wears on me. And I keep trying to get to that place where I am just Zen about the whole thing. And I'm like, I don't care what you think. And it's really difficult for me to get there. Like, I don't know what the magic word is that someone has to say, because it's always like, oh, then people aren't going to like me. And if they don't like me, they're not going to follow me. And if they don't follow me, they're not going to see my content. And it's like this whole like domino thing in my head. And I know, cause I just saw Jama Aluo talking about how she's thinking about leaving Twitter yesterday. I know that for black women, it is like a million times worse because not only do you get the sexism, you get the racism along with it. 
you, oh my God, you are speaking my language. And I think no matter who you are, it does bother you. Um, and I, and no matter who you are, you do think about the consequences. Um, and for women specifically, we do like to be liked. I think that, yep. I think that that's something that all women struggle with. I don't, I just, I don't believe that you're immune to it. This is the way we're built. However, um, gosh, <laughs> Julie, there, there's no, there's no easy answer for that. But what you, mm. but what I do know is that I just put my head down and I have to do the job. I mean, it hurts my feelings. I was listening to a podcast, This American Life, and it was called Critics Choice. It literally was about the exact same thing. This guy wrote a book, a New York Times bestselling book about Meryl Streep, one of the segments, and he had 300 reviews. 295 were amazing. The five he focused on that were bad. He couldn't yep. take. It. He focused on the five. 295 is like, this is amazing. It's the best book ever. And then he kept reading religiously the five. And I said, there is something about how we need to rewire ourselves because we're artists. We're journalists, but we're artists. And our opinions are up for, the, we, they can dissect it. They can, t- they can tear it apart. They can say what they want. And every now and again, there's something that triggers you and you have to figure out why that triggers you. I don't know what, I, what triggers me is when someone says like, you you know, it used to be, it changes, right? It used to be, you're a loser. That's why you got fired. And I feel like I have to justify and be like, I quit, you know? Triggered by that, right? Now, now it's moved to, um, you're a racist. And I'm like, you do understand what the word racism means, right? There's no such, <laughs> right. you know, as reverse racism. You do know racist you know, against white men. Yes, exactly. You're trying to take all the white men out, you know, or, or, or here's a big one for me. This is a struggle that black women get. I get all the time. How are you even pretending to care about black people? You only date white men. And I'm all like, what the, how do you know who I date? You know what I mean? Like, right. even, if I yeah. did, even if I did, it's none of your damn business. But now those are the things that trigger me. They trigger me because it's such a gross mis- misrepresentation of who I am. I, I, first of all, I will love whoever the hell I want to love. And I said that on a podcast once. And that's when the, the rumor was that I only dated a white man because I said I'd love whoever I want to love. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is ridiculous. I mean, I could post something right now, guys, about um, Black men are in trouble. Please protect them. And in and, and the comments, it'll be 200 comments and 195 will be like, you only like white penis. You know, you're like, what? <laughs> what are you talking wow. about? Yeah. I have to really re- I have to really remind myself that that. That is not why I'm here. Social media has really consumed so much of us and changed how we how we talk and how we want to be perceived. And none of it's true. It's all a lie. Remember when Prince Harry said in the in the they're trapped, they're in jail. That, that that's what social media is. We are trapped. <laughs> We're in jail. We got to get out. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes I feel like it's actually the responsible thing would be to get off of social media and go away. Hey, but to your point, Carrie, though, you are impressive. Like, nothing about your personal life ever gets out there. It is pretty amazing that you've been able to keep it all under wraps. (laughs) And I I work so hard at that. You know what I mean? Because I feel like, for me, there are some things you don't get to have social media. Of course, like, Yes, there is. There's been someone in my life that people have known about here and there, but they you don't know the details because what happens is, especially with me in the platform, and this is when it first started. I I bought into I was the pretty girl on TV, and I had to be America's girlfriend, and I didn't want anybody to know about who I was dating. I bought into that for a while. 
And then after a while, I was like, fuck it. Like, it's nobody's business. Who cares? Then I got to the point, the older I got, I was just like, look, I'm going to do me and ain't none of your damn business. And I'm so glad I've never shared any of my business. Like, I'm the kind of woman that when I get married, you'll just see the picture on Instagram. We're celebrating our fifth year anniversary, guys. (laughs) (laughs) You'll be like, what? You know what I mean? Like, because, and that's only if I decide to do that. I think you have to protect certain things. And and that's me. That's my personal choice, right? Everybody has a different choice. So for so long, people thought Jamel and I were lesbians, like until she got married. <laughs> no, everyone's like, you guys are such lesbians. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just, you know, and well, why do you jump there? Well, nothing is wrong with that. But it's so funny that like, you don't even know us. And you're like, are we? You guys need to just come on out. <laughs> Okay, sure. And then and then the funny part of that is for us, it's just like only if they knew about our shenanigans, we'd be like, uh-huh, sure we are. You know what I mean? And we don't give a damn. Like, who who cares? But I used to always think there is something about when you see people, you immediately want to know their personal life. Like, like when you move to London, Jane, I'm like, oh, I wonder who her husband is who's ready to let her move to London. You know what I mean? I'm all in your business. And then it's a moment ago. <laughs> Julie's like, yeah, he I was came like, with me. He came yeah, with me. Yeah. And Julie's <laughs> like, you know, I have kids. I'm like, you have kids? Like, I'm that's none of my damn business, but we're fascinated by that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. exactly right. Yeah, hundred percent But you also bring up a really great point, which is like when we get that first chunk of success, we buy into the reason that we think we're there or that somebody wanted us there, where you think, okay, I'm here because I'm the pretty girl and I and, you know, maybe then when I get my first job, I think, OK, I'm young and hungry and I'm, you know, I'm here for this reason. And I think as we get older, I think we kind of are able to take that stuff and put it to the side and recognize what we're good at. And it's about what we want to bring as opposed to what you want from us. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, I think that gives us more power in our jobs. But I also think that makes it maybe less uh, interesting, let's say, for or less appealing for some people to hire us Mm -hmm. look at that less appealing for them to hire us if wait say that again less appealing to hire us if why if we are too aware of what we want to bring what we want to report how we see things you know what i'm saying i think in some ways that youth and naivete about things and being with the willingness to play the game is actually you know is 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 a success is is an unintentional but very successful technique for getting hired uh, early on. I mean, I think it does change, but I just to me like the important thing about like how it is that you see why you were placed in a role, and then you see you don't have to play that role anymore. Ooh, yeah. yeah, it's it's the same thing I think of when I think of like why so many older guys date really young women because they're moldable and changeable, right? And I mean, at that age, I would have done whatever an older man told me to do. And I feel like it's kind of the same thing when you get hired. I think that that describes my, my first few years at ESPN on first take. Although, although I will tell you behind the scenes, I was kicking up dust, but at the same time, I was, I was, I was terrified of really pushing the envelope until I got fed up. Now, you know, the old saying about a woman who's fed up, like when she's fed up, that's it. There's no more, there's no, there's no more looking back and personally or professionally, I am done. And so I was done. Mm. I, I, I knocked on doors. I was like, I got to get off the show. I was like, I can't keep doing this. I can't keep pretending and smiling and being disrespected. And, and for me, it was, I mean, I can't even 
tell you guys the amount of times where I was, if, if I didn't have really two solid friends and Mike and Jamel to hold me together and also give me a, a platform on his and hers, I would have lost my mm. mind. I would have lost my mind. And once I realized why I was there and what my role was, I was like, the jig is up and I am out. Like the jig's up. I can't do it. Uh, and that's when I got the reputation of being difficult because I no longer wanted to, as you just mentioned, Jane, get along and just, you know, be quiet right. and play my position. And, and quite frankly, that's okay. <laughs> There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's okay because once you set a standard of what you will and not will not take, you, tr- you, you show people how to treat you. You just do. So I was okay with people being like, Carrie's tough. She's mean. She's cranky. She's this. That's fine. As long as you know that you're not going to bully me anymore. That's fine. I'll be all those things, whatever you want me to be. Yeah. I really feel well, like the most, you're an entrepreneur. Yeah. 1,000%. Like 1,000%. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, I, I really think the most valuable thing that, that um, you can have in this industry as a woman is a friend who can relate to what you're going through and who also is like, fuck it, who cares? Like that, I can't tell you that like, that friend has gotten me through more tough situations in this industry than just about anything else. Yo, that is such an amazing story. Like who, who, we need each other. And we also need to, on my women's history moment, we also need to stop lying to one another and being competitive with one another. The performative sisterhood is out the door. Like yep. we, we need to stick together in more ways than one. And, and unfortunately, certain surrounding certain environments make you feel like you have to try to get one up on everyone else. And it changed, because you, you, you watch people change. Like you guys can, you can name someone uh, who changed, you know, seeing someone who's changed. So you're like, God, I hate that the industry has done that to you, but that's the lie that we buy into. Right. And then, and, and then you, and then you realize that, you know, like you back to our bigger point, that's not, that's not what this is about. Like at the end of the day, we have to really truly protect each other and be honest with one another about what's going on in our world. Whether we can go on record or not, Julie, we got to be honest about what's going on. In our world. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, we completely agree with that. And so many of the things that you've brought up, Carrie, are stuff that, that Jane and I talk about all the time, whether it's on the show or just via text, because it's, it's absolutely, you're right. I mean, it's infuriating. And, and women keep being put in these positions where we feel like we're in competition with each other when really we need to be on each other's side. It's the only way to get through this industry. Uh, okay. So here's my confession. Cause, uh, I, I'm really big on my, my naked raw emotions right now. That's what I've been. This is the, 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 the next level of me as I become this entrepreneur and talk honestly about life. I believe that I definitely believed that I was always not necessarily in competition, but I didn't want to befriend any other women, especially when I got to ESPN, because I had heard the stories and the rumors. And I was like, no, thanks. Mm. And I had one woman that I really looked up to. And when I met her, it just broke my heart because I was like, no, I've been following you for all these years. And I've met you at different conventions. And this, you know, the taste is like, just don't meet your hero type thing. Right. And, and the same could be said for me. Someone could say the same for me because I adopted a really tough veneer. Um, and one, and at one instance, I had been there for two months and I walked up to a different young lady and I said, I don't know you, but your attitude towards me is so poor and I've done nothing to you and I'm tired of it. I told her to her face. I couldn't take it. I was just so fed up with her being so mean to me. It was like, I was like, I was too grown to play the game. Mm -hmm. And, and, and she, 
to her credit, apologized. This is a separate young lady. She apologized and we are fast and furious friends now, but she apologized. She said, I'm sorry if it has been received that way. I felt like you came in and got the position that I wanted. And I, and she was so honest. And so when that, that honesty just hits you, you're like, whoa, like I have to, I, it just, it took it, it, my guard. She caught me off guard. So then Jamel made a, a, a beeline to be my friend. And we, we had lunch. You guys, this story is hilarious. We had lunch and she sat down. I had been there maybe two months and she sat with me and told me um, all the things that, that, that were wrong with the show that I was on and how disrespectful they were to me and how mean they were to me and how I, how I shouldn't take it. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh gosh, she's so jealous. She wants the show. Oh my God, she is mm. such a jerk. Like, ugh. And I remember walking away from that lunch dinner, Julie and Jane, not talking to her. I was like, that is it. I called my agent. I was like, that girl is trouble. That that Jamel Hill is trouble. She's so <laughs> jealous. She's she so is trouble. Yeah, right. <laughs> and she, to her credit, kept calling me and wanting to hang out when she because she wasn't living in Bristol then. And to her credit, she was like, always, let's hang out. And I always had this very standoffish approach. Jamel calls me a porcupine, which is so apropos. She was like, she's loving. You just got to get through all the, the pricklies. And, you know, once you get past all that, once she gets done sticking you a few times, you're like, oh my God, I love her. She's the best. But I would not talk to her. And we tell this story. So it's so funny. And then one day something happened and I don't know what it was, but it was the best decision in my life to let my guard down and, and tell her what I was dealing with. And she became my mentor, my big sister. She rescued me in so many instances. And I then changed my approach. I was like, you know what? Everybody's not out to get me. Women have to really look out for women. I mean, and that was a lesson I learned as a grown-ass adult. In right. That, in, the, mm-hmm. in that tough-ass environment. And by the way, everyone doesn't deserve my love, right? Everyone doesn't yeah. deserve your friendship. True. You know who's there to be your friend. But I mean... I, you guys, I came in there like, I don't know none of these girls. I ain't going to talk to them. Let me get out. They crazy. They mad at me. Uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm cute. You know? And yeah. I have to change my whole approach. Yeah, Karen, we have I same. must have met you after that because you were nothing but gracious and kind whenever I interacted with you professionally or, or personally when we would get together and, you know, have a meal around some event somewhere. But I can remember at the U.S. Open, I was on the set with you one year. And I just, I remember because, you know, you are intimidatingly beautiful. And I didn't know you personally. And here I come and you were like, I'd read this story that you did. That was so great. Come here, give me a hug. And then we just sat down and that was it. We were friends. But Aww. I just remember nothing but niceness from you. So I do not remember the porcupine at all. You know what? I I have a tendency. Here's a here's a secret. I have a tendency to have so much more love for um for writers than I do for people on air because I know why. There's a level, there's, I mean, I look, there's so much more to me and it's so archaic and wrong and rude, but there's a level of journalism that I think that you all have, the chops you have that I just don't all, that I didn't have. I mean, I have written before um, in different instances and I'm sure I could, but I, I respect the craft so much that I, I, I initially go in thinking, no, no, this doesn't apply to everyone, but I go in thinking this has to be tough for her. She's really smart or he, she's this or she's that, or she's been through a lot or are just a pro, like the way you are with words, you know, ladies, it's not easy. And I, and I recognize that. And so I do have a tendency to appreciate that, which is why I loved when everyone who was a writer became, you know, TV analyst, because it was just 
so much more refreshing and smart commentary. And you guys were so much better than the knuckleheads that we keep around who had nothing to say. Or sometimes you guys, you know, this reporters will get out there and won't even know what they're talking about. And you're just like, okay. And you ask one question outside of the question you have. And they're like, I don't know the answer to that. And you're like, what are you doing all day? Like you're <laughs> for eight hours and you ask them one other question outside of the prescriptive question. It's the end of the world, you know? And so for me, that's probably what you, you, what you recognize, but I know that I, I'm not, I'm not, look, I am intimidating in the sense that I'm not always, I'm not always, you know, hugs and kisses, but a lot of that is just to protect myself from being hurt. It's not that I'm mean. I'm just, you know, I, I'm sensitive as hell and I don't want everybody to yeah. hurt my feelings, you know? I hear that. That's exactly how I am as well. Carrie, we are so thrilled that we got to spend this time with you. I wish we had a three-hour podcast because we could, we could have had you, uh, we could have gone on forever. But everybody give Carrie a follow over at uh, Carrie Champion on Twitter. And I think it's the same handle on Instagram as well. It, am I right? Yeah. You ladies are amazing. Thank you so much for what you do. And it's refreshing to talk to you. It really is. Any time. Carrie Champion, she's the best. There she goes. Jane, one of the things I love about Carrie is that she is uh, extremely candid about the career that she's had. And I appreciate that, especially when, you know, there are so jobs right now in this market are shrinking. Everybody's worried about upsetting their boss and being on the doghouse. And and Carrie, I aspire to live as unbothered of a life as she seems to. (laughs) Yeah, sure. And referencing another great podcast that Jamel Hill does with your unbothered comment. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that some sports broadcasters uh, generally, not 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 um, uh, singling anyone out, have had a hard time knowing what to do with women as they become, uh, as they come into their own voices, right? For so, Carrie talks about this, where you know she had an opportunity to kind of use her platform and to uh, talk about her own experiences and and you know and and illuminate kind of a you know, some, some issues that might not have come up organically in a sports talk setting. And they liked that, you know, but then when the conversation moves on or when it's no longer convenient for your employer, what do you do? And I think that sometimes sports broadcasters have had a hard time figuring out how to showcase women who have used their voice like that. And, and someone who's coming up this summer for renewal is Maria Taylor and Mike McCarthy at USA Today tweeted about that. And, um, and I was just thinking, you know, she's been so terrific. And again, another strong black woman in the sports broadcasting space. And I, you know, I just hope that whoever ends up um, winning the sweepstakes for her, and let's mm-hmm. hope there's a sweepstakes, uh, is able to platform her appropriately. And by that, I mean her own show. And I don't think we've seen necessarily women get the get their own shows and the support broadly in the in, in the way that men do when they when they reach kind of the the level that Maria Taylor is ascending to. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And one of the things um, that Carrie talked about, and I love Maria, and I had the pleasure of being on a panel with her at the awesome national convention a couple of years ago. And she's an absolutely delightful person, um, every bit as wonderful in you know in person as, as she is on TV. Um, but, you know, one of the things Carrie talked about, I think, was um, a sort of very apt uh, to what you're saying, very apropos to what you're saying, is that, you know, they say we need a women's perspective, we need a woman's point of view. But then when you give it, if it's not what they think it should be, 
everybody sort of recoils. And I know I always felt um, when I talked about issues of that, that, you know, predominantly affect women, whether it's sexual harassment or sexual assault or domestic violence, I always felt like my station was like embarrassed, you know, like almost like they were apologizing for me. And I feel, and and that's what I seem to see for, you know, for women um, in the sports space and especially for, for black women and women of color is that, um, you know, I don't know what they what they consider a woman's perspective to be. I mean, my perspective on football is probably the same as a dude's perspective on football. But when it comes to things happening off the field, I definitely have a perspective that a lot of guys don't. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think with Carrie and, and the same thing with Maria is that, you know, when when people speak out, they say we want a woman's perspective. We want a black woman's perspective. But then when you speak about those issues that you have knowledge about, it's like, oh, my God, what are we going to do with her? Um and that was just something I wanted to sort of tease out from what Carrie said, because I think that's a really important point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that's why and that's why I'm you know looking forward to seeing what happens with Maria Taylor, because, you know, with with each of I mean, I hope that we learn as we go here. And it's not just, you know, you and me and Carrie who are learning, but that it's also the people who hire mm-hmm. the next generation of broadcasters and understanding some of those dynamics that have ended up meaning that uh, people who use their voice are dislodged from their spots or uh, made to feel as though they're no longer in the inside room. You know, I think we've referenced this before, but Ronan Farrow has a has a great um, scene in his book, Catch and Kill, about going into a, a room with a bunch of executives and talking about a story and feeling the temperature of the room cool when those executives don't want to talk about and don't want him to pursue a story of harassment in the workplace. And I think we've all been in those rooms. And I think that that's what happens sometimes, not in a room, but but that is the same phenomena that happens sometimes with women's careers uh, or people of color's careers, Black men, when they talk about certain things as well. Um, I think there is some insulation if you played on a team and you're a former athlete working for a broadcaster, you do have some insulation against that. Um, but it is something going forward that I'd love to see change. And I'd love to see women who've used their voices be considered more valuable, not less. Yeah. And when people always say to me, what can we do to support women? This is it, right? Make it obvious to employers that they have a platform that people are listening to. So, you know, retweet, um, put their show on. If you have something else to do, if you're running to the grocery store, put the show on and then leave. You know, I mean, leave the radio show on in the background, like all these kinds of things that that employers care about to show that people are listening um, and that you you do sort of have traction with what you're talking about. Otherwise, it's so easy to just say like, oh, God, you know, roll your eyes and, and just sort of move on to the next thing. Yeah. Lindsay Gibbs says um, a fantastic writer who does a, a power plays newsletter on women's sports. She says, you know, write letters because. If you write a letter to a broadcaster or to a newspaper saying, I want to see more of this, I really appreciate this woman's voice, et cetera, et cetera, um, about a woman employed there, it makes a difference. It makes a difference. Get out your pen, paper, you know, computer, whatever you want to do. Write a letter. Let people know. Let their feedback. That feedback is heard. Speaking of moving on to the next thing, uh, we got news. <laughs> yes. How was that for a transition? That was beautiful. That's right? a, you know what? That's a Hall of Fame transition Thank right you. there, Julie. Thank you. I've been holding on to that one since you <laughs> said moving on. I was like, oh, I'm going to hold on to that like grim death. Uh, so <laughs> Drew Brees announced yesterday or two days ago in a very cute video with his kids 
that he is uh, going to be retiring from football. He is effectively retired as of right now, breaking my son's heart, who has been in love with Drew Brees since he was approximately eight years old. You know, one of my first interview NFL interviews was with Drew Brees. It was a one-on-one. They'd won the Super Bowl. This was, you know, going back into the 2000s. And, um, and I, for some reason he was in Times Square promoting, a promoting something. And I, and I got to kind of sit in a, sit in one of those, uh, craft trucks, you know, with him for, for, you know, whatever, 15, 20 minutes. And he just couldn't have been, uh, for somebody who it was my first time kind of trying to break into the NFL and do some interviewing and everything could not have been uh, easier experience. And so I've always, you know, he, he puts on a lot of, you know, a lot of people put on as a nice person. And then there, I think there are the truly genuine, nice people. And certainly Drew Brees has had a long career and he's had a lot of opportunities to mess up and say the wrong thing. And he certainly has at one point, but he's also tried to grow from those experiences. And I think he stays true to his own values, his own faith, uh, his own sense of who he is. And I have, I just have a ton of respect for him as a professional. Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, obviously I, I work uh, with a lot of guys who were extremely upset, as was I, with his comments about Black Lives Matter and kneeling for the flag and refusing to kneel and making it about the um, the troops. And, you know, and I have two family members, one who's actively serving. My dad's a Navy vet. My brother is currently in the Navy. So I'm sensitive to that. Um, at the same time, it was a real face plant when it came to hearing what your colleagues and your friends are trying to tell you about racial justice in this country. But I think you're right in that, you know, as white people, we have a lot of stuff to unlearn. We have, we have hundreds of years of gaslighting basically um, that we need to unlearn and need to learn to listen to other voices. And I think that we need to measure people not so much by how you fall on your face but what you do when you get up, um, if it's, you know, I, I, la, 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 I can't hear you. I can't hear you. That's a problem. But if you at least try to learn and listen and admit that you were wrong, um, I got to give people credit, especially when it happens so publicly, because that is a difficult thing to do. It's much easier just to say, uh, you know, just ignore it or just sort of lean into the right wing part of your base who's going to support you for saying stuff like that. But I mean, I think he did offer a genuine apology, even though a lot of people didn't think it was good enough. Um, and, and I sort of had sympathy for that. I mean, I've done things and said things that I'm just like later, you just like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. And then you've got to try to do better the next day. And I think that all you can really do is wake up the next day and try to do better than you did the day before. Yeah, hundred percent, and I and I and I agree that like that it was definitely just showed that he hadn't really thought about things from other perspectives mm-hmm. enough. But he also didn't say, "I'm sorry if anyone was offended," which is right. the boilerplate response. And he he did he did the full video, like he didn't just put out a statement. He was, you know, he really um, did do that. And and the thing is, like especially with with moments like that, it is what happens going forward. And he is going to have a platform now on NBC where he's going to have an opportunity to say a lot of different things. And so we will know if he's actually internalized some of that stuff and what he has listened to and what he has absorbed. And, you know, it's not going to be good for NBC if he isn't curious and doesn't listen to the experiences of the people around him. And uh, so I'm, I mean, you know, obviously there are a lot of opportunities going forward for him to, to show his work. And I'm hoping I'm hoping and I'm hopeful and and given his track record and who he is and the kind of person that he's been, 
you know, I'm hopeful that 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 actually that platform could be a space where, you know, a lot of people like who look like Drew Brees and who have the background of Drew Brees and the faith that Drew Brees has, you know, can spend that time showing that they have become sensitive to these issues. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, right. I mean, that's the hope that we all have to have that because with Drew Brees says it, there's a whole segment of people who are going to listen who wouldn't listen when other people are saying it. So, um, yeah, I mean, I hope going forward that he uses his platform for, uh, you know, to advance the movement and the racial justice movement and the social justice movement in this country. And speaking of going forward, I just learned how to transition, Julie. Yes, I know. I I just figured (laughs) out how to transition. (laughs) So so what's going forward? Is it because we're done? Yes, I was thinking, because we had such a great interview with Carrie. I don't want to like, you know, completely step all over it. No, and we don't want people to be like, wow, that was a great interview, but they really whiffed on the follow-up. So we're just going to end. That's right. That's right. Taking our winnings and going home. Yes, we are going to learn how to leave on a high note. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Carrie. We certainly did. We've got another terrific guest coming up next week. You guys are going to be very excited when you find out who it is. Uh, And uh, that is it for us here on The Ladies Room. Give us a follow on social media at Julie DeCaro, at Jane Sports. We will see you guys next week here in The Ladies Room.